Well, good morning. Uh, Mary Morrison is my next guest on the Economy Wellbeing Podcast. And Mary, you and I met in, I think, 2002, was it? At Bainbridge Graduate Institute when you were the first uh, cohort of students in that wonderful MBA program. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a tes- while ago. Testament to enduring <laughs> friendship. So we uh, absolutely keep in contact. And so... I thought, you know, your, uh, your story is fascinating. You, you know, you've got all these, um, you've got these degrees and three letters and you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you, you know, you're... I got some alphabet letters behind my name. <laughs> I'm like, why do you need three letters behind your name? Anyways, <laughs> but the, uh, the joy of that program, I think endures and, and um, what we learn from, from just being present to each other and learning in, in those circle uh I think that's what always struck me about BGI is just the mm-hmm. reality of learning and that there's really no uh, guru or teacher. Like we all have something to learn from each other. Yeah. It's almost like nature, the natural surroundings was, was the biggest teacher. Yeah. And I know you're uh, you're a Qigong practitioner and, and I've dabbled mm-hmm. it myself though. Sometimes maybe it's my ADHD. I'm not patient enough to at least a Tai Chi was way too many moves but when i did qigong i was like wait this is simple it only basically eight moves maybe i um, love simplicity yep so uh, you're you're in washington dc so tell mm-hmm. tell us about uh you and and what uh, what you're up to these days with your sure with your mastery yeah so well thanks for having me inviting me to be on your podcast it's uh, an honor to hang out with you a little bit more um so yeah. So when we met back um, 2002, so yeah. that was a master's in business and sustainable businesses. And, mm-hmm. um, and so right now, fast forward, I have, uh, I thought I wanted to be a, you know, sustainability manager or for some big company, um, you know, doing social responsibility. Um, but what I've, I've kind of come full circle. I have a, a very deep and broad um, study in Chinese medicine, uh, particularly, um, you know, acupuncture and, as you mentioned, Zheneng uh, Qigong, which is a very particular style of Qigong. But um, right now, my main work in the world is leadership and what I'm calling organizational wellness, but not like a spa program at, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's yeah. like how to, it's culture work. It's actually using my background in medical and well-being to create an amazing, very fruitful culture for organizations that are up to doing big, big positive things in the world. So we're, so I'm looking at social and environmental social justice type um, companies that really want to make a difference in the world. Um, so that's what Wonderful. I'm up to. And I mean, yeah, I'm in Washington, D.C. Gosh, I can't believe I've been here this long, but it's been 18 <laughs> years. <laughs> I grew up in a small town in Maine and, and in, wow. in Washington, D.C. Yeah, Washington, D.C. has been home. Um, but um, we're in Maine. But right? but it, yeah, very north. So actually near New, New Brunswick. Brunswick yeah. um, so I feel, you know, very connected to my Canadian yeah. <laughs> friends. Well, I, I'm pretty I mean, sure so I... many of them. Probably drove through your town when we drove from Montreal and through. Probably, John. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The very tiny town of, well, 
Presque which sounds like it's by the water, but it's, it's not. It's Way in the north. <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> in the what? Yes, surrounded by agriculture, potato fields. Wow. Um, yeah, so so I grew up very much connected to my 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 family was were not farmers, but I had many friends and uh, very connected to the land. Um, and I think that's kind of like how I was imprinted when I was young, growing up in such a rural area, big sky and, you know, rolling hills and just mm. wanting to be outside as much as possible. Right. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so you're, uh, so let, let's uh, riff on this. You know, what, one thing I've been intrigued by is this so-called uh, conscious capitalism and you know, yes consciousness in general and it sounds like you're you work with organizations that aspire to be more conscious whatever mm-hmm. that means and right uh, so what what are you and, and some people say well that's really woo-woo stuff as uh liba pincho might have said <laughs> i didn't even know what the word woo-woo meant back then i don't, I don't either <laughs> i don't either i've heard it because you're like from rural maine you're like whatever i i'm from yeah. rural, you know small town alberta like whatever but um, what what are you uh, in this kind of crazy dystopian world we're in today? Like, what what are the serious aspirations towards this kind of form of conscious capitalism? When uh, some would say it's uh, run off the rails and, and mm-hmm. but this domination of predatory financial capitalism. What are what are your signs of yeah signs of hope in the? Well, I mean, I was actually listening to. Uh, my mentor um, on another on a, on another podcast talking about or at least her um, the host was saying about when you have a culture I think um, she was explaining the time she worked for Wells Fargo and what happened with that company in 2016 <laughs> they got into big um, some big trouble with fake accounts mm-hmm. Um so the I mean, if you think of a co- company that big, it has so many people, and what's often like capitalism, there are so many things they're baked into the structure. It's really challenging to uh, dismantle it, uh, as as uh, the host said. You almost have to like tear it all down because Wells Fargo is still dealing with what happened in 2016 to this day. Mm. So where I come in, so certainly, yes, I can come in and help leadership, the leadership team, the, the CEO design it. So they're more present and using um, their inherent, um, what I call wisdom, their inherent uh, sensory senses to help make decisions that'll have a lasting impact. But a company that big, um, I prefer not to work at a company that big. I'm very interested in small businesses and entrepreneurial ventures of how to teach uh, using or reclaiming the wisdom of your body to shape the company and all the decisions you have to make to have a company thrive so you can do the good work. So it's, it's like doing the math on how much it costs a person, for example, to notice uh, when the mm. when the CEO is upset, how they spread the upset to the organization, and that becomes something that you know. If you think about the last time 
you were upset, for example, uh, noticing in your body what the reactivity of that. And when you don't attend to that, you then spread it into, well, everywhere you go. Mm. Not only your body, like your body is an ecosystem, right? Everything's connected. So upset is, you know, human. It's not about yeah. not being yeah. upset, right? But but could we aim it at something that's really important um, that matters to this person running this this small business? Because then it becomes, if not attended to, like you end up, um, someone was saying, oh, there's all these like you end rage up rooms, right? Yeah, exactly. You have all these rage rooms, right? Where people go and they smash wine glasses. <laughs> it's like, that can be helpful in some situations. If you are like topped off and you're like really holding a lot of anger and upset, you do need to let go. But what I'm interested in is, can we use people's emotional reactivity as leaders to aim it at something that matters to them? Because I'll tell you, upset, your reactivity is wisdom. And I'm here to teach how critical that is to really get that at a body level for leaders. Because I think we there's a ton of leadership programs that are very, very good, very, but they don't touch on wisdom. You know, you might, right, yes. You And some people, let's talk about, <laughs> might call this woo, right? But this intuition, right? I have a sense about, I need to have a conversation with this team member about this project, right? Because if you don't, and you've missed, you've, you have felt though something physically and there's nothing woo about yeah. noticing a slight, sometimes slight, but sometimes very major uh, sensation in your body and ignoring it. And then the it, field. <laughs> yeah, and then it becomes a bigger, yes, a bigger <laughs> mess. And, and so what I've been doing lately to show my clients is doing the math, the accounting on what it's costing an organization to ignore things that someone felt that they should, you know, attend to and did not. So you're, you're speaking it's, my language. <laughs> yeah, I knew so, it. <laughs> I, I and I and, and I, I have to reflect on my own foray because I'm a macroeconomist, so I get to talk about well-being at a, you know, a large community scale or nation scale even. But I, I have to say, and and what what's music to my ears is you're helping corporations or organizations do the math to prove, which I I've aspired to as my as well, but not as successfully, that there is a an economic financial argument for well-being in the workplace oh yes right? absolutely and, and if we don't do i mean you say well do we really have to prove it mathematically uh yes for for some people we absolutely need to because otherwise it's just a, uh an, you know it's an aspiration or it's simply an unverified right statement mm -hmm. belief so right exactly yeah so we need to put like roots on that and certainly like you've probably met people that they're very aspirational they're they they i can talk to some people um you know leading a small business and they don't necessarily they're like i don't want to know the math because there's something about what i do it's actually very effective and if, if i know you know it's it's like That's there's right. something like nothing like something that can kill that like the business nuts and bolts right but here's what i've here what, here's what I've, you know, 
learned over like really honing in on this leader, like leadership from this, you know, using your senses is if we start attuning our five senses, it feels like, like there's sixth sense, right? That sense of like intuition, all intuition is. Thank you. Is honing your five senses. So you become so present, so present that you are able to take in your external environment but as well as more importantly to pay attention to your internal weather let's call it weather right mm-hmm. to help guide you and so that's what i really hone with people whether you're you know leader of an organization or you have a team that's not functioning very well and and yes a lot of people will come to me like i have this ongoing like headache <laughs> because of work because in in my years of being an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, most people would come in and they would have, uh, co- they would want to talk to me about two things, work, how stressful that was, or something about home. And those are two cultures, right? If you think about it, that yeah. that's, and, and so, so we ended up, so I would literally like coach them in you know, the treatment session, you know, stick them with needles and let them rest. Right. And so, they would, you know, not only feel better, but they would resolve and they would actually have uh, a practice to take back with them. And that's essentially what I teach. I said, I teach 12 simple, but very effective practices in my coaching um, with leaders. Yeah. Wow. So but they're that- all sensory based. They're all about you are a mirror, right, of your organization. So let's attend to you first. Right. So what you're doing is you're combining. I mean, I remember doing acupuncture, I think three sessions, uh, for, and, and I've not done them since. But I think the most enjoyable part was just being quiet for 30 minutes mm-hmm. with the needles in, but then thinking, when am I ever this quiet? <laughs> <laughs> right. Is the, right. We, we tend to have a lot of internal noise. So how do you sift that? Like, so what I want people to understand is the internal noise. We could, we could talk, you know, thinking, right. To me, thinking is felt in the body though. That's the thing. You're you're never separate from your thoughts. We're trained to not pay attention, but. So you're, you're talking about kind of, measuring because <clears throat> i'm a measurement obsessive guy verifying that wisdom is an asset and mm-hmm. how can we create cultures in which our innate wisdom right uh is is the, the key strategic advantage mm-hmm. that's a value mm-hmm. i valued yeah yep yeah absolutely and i and i think we do that to some extent although you know, I just got a memory of Bainbridge Graduate Institute. <laughs> and as you're talking in this, like, 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 I remember us talking about how the uh, culture of an organization should be diverse, right? Not only in skin color, but in age, right? It's like the, the wisdom keepers um, are the people that have been in with an organization who have been through all of the the years of change and growth and and it's really important to have 
kind of an archive, <laughs> a human archive, right? Mm-hmm. A placeholder for that. Um, so, yeah, I think the um, that what organizations and really innovative people that want to create a lot of change in the world is um, what they're also dealing with when they don't pay attention to their own internal like I'm talking about felt sensations, not the idea, the actual sensation um, is it, it can lead to burnout, which I don't know. We don't have a lot of time for that. Do we like burnout is it burnout. My definition of burnout is just the accumulation of these felt sensations that you're not taking action on, that you're not questioning that you're not like, yeah, uh allowing somebody to support you so burnout is not inevitable um it is if um you're not taught and most of them us are not taught to pay attention to what's going on uh in my body as i'm in these meetings right or um yeah or out in life in at home right, right so right. that's where the accounting can come in because i mean this one person i was doing a just a just a, like just a little bit of math we haven't hadn't even got to kind of the some of the bigger costs but the cost of complaining for example <laughs> as a cultural norm yeah it's huge um and they had done all types of training and they had meetings with this guy but he'd been doing it for like six years. So what that told me, two things, right? They didn't take, whatever they were doing wasn't effective. If someone's allowed to kind of, I would say, be upset about things, there's, that's now embedded, that's now a cultural issue because he's been allowed to do that. Right. Everything that has been done to hear what's really going on. Because I'll tell you, when upset, when someone gets upset, and I don't just mean anger, but when you have some like reactivity that you're like, like uh, this something undesirable is happening um it's possibly a request in disguise so this person perhaps doesn't is not saying everything that they need to say um and so so there was a couple things to to for them to look at but also just doing the numbers on how much time he spent complaining and then how he had to (laughs) the supervisors i had to listen to that and even though it's part of their job what if that was all freed up? So you created a culture of, oh, a co- complaint. If I have a complaint, I have a request. And here's, when you start complaining, if you're taught that in an organization, then you have ownership from the person. They're, you're not having the, the CEO having to deal with this person over and over again, which if you put a cost to that, how much time? And then- Time not only spending spent with this one person, but but her uh, diversion, her um, from her projects that actually make the company money. Right? It's huge. It's very. It's a. It's a big cost. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm teaching people how to use the wisdom of their body so they can be more innovative and creative. But if you're constantly putting out fires of the in the culture of complaint, um, you're losing creation and innovation and when you do pay attention to your body and you have you design more 
spaciousness, you design more um, opportunities to be a much more creative organization. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you touched on something that I've been kind of delving into is um, this notion that, you know, time is the only common measure or of of our life right i mean mm-hmm. if we have if we li- all live to 82 years of age right average mm-hmm. you know that's maybe 70 700,000 hours so yep. to your point it's like you know a third of that you'll be sleeping hopefully yep you no know, you'll probably 200,000 maybe 180,000 hours you'll work for money um so in those 180,000 hours if we're not using those hours in the most elegant, effective, wise mm-hmm. manner, then it's absolutely a drag on the optimization, I guess, if you like, of uh, yeah, of our life. <clears throat> and so, to shine a light on that, I think is interesting and valuable. Mm-hmm. And yep. so, what I've been thinking about is, well, what if we had through all these fancy things called blockchain and smart contracts and we talk about that stuff, but if we were actually measure the hours spent in conflict and complaining, right, versus flow or joy or whatever the other the antithesis of complaining and 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 the effects of trauma that we bring to the workplace from our childhood, whatever. There's so many things. There's so oh, yeah. that are. I just, mean, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> To be human, right? It's like, and it's, it's, it's so the, the skills that I teach, they're called humaning well, core skill, mm. core skills. So how to be a full human being um, at work as well. And it's not, and it's, and it's, and it's designed intentionally. It's not just showing up however I want. Hey, yeah. because I'm human and I'm, I'm like having a bad day. Right. But it's very, being very intentional and in like this deep, like really I'm retraining people actually to that how I show up at, for example, matters, how I show up, I design it, whether I realize it or not. So, Oh, I just rolled out of bed and I, you know, didn't, right. you know, how I show was in a bad up, how mood. I exactly. Yeah. I teach how, how did you do that? How, how did you just roll out of bed and choose to be in a bad mood? Right. So- yeah. Do you, and do you have any say so in it? That's the question. So I'm a big proponent of questioning the how and how people do. Right. Um, because I think that's really the only way for people to really, like, as we were talking a little bit earlier, like slow down and reflect. Um, yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about, you know, my favorite kind of woo woo subject is, is consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, well, on, on my top bookshelf is, uh, all of David Hawkins work on measuring consciousness. And he was a clinical psychologist and in, in New York and he did his PhD on the subject. And I've, I've always been fascinated with his work. I don't know if you've read, you know, power versus force or but it, it was, um, this notion that, you know, what is consciousness to me, it's simple. It's awareness, right? It's like what you're talking about, like, mm-hmm. And he, he argued that consciousness, awareness, or an alignment with divinity, with, let's say, love is the ultimate consciousness of the universe, of the creator of God. 
that that consciousness he he said was probably on a logarithmic scale so it went from very low like levels like apathy and fear right to courage to reason to love to unconditional love to joy and of course because it's logarithmic it's you know it gets harder and harder to stay to move up right this curve in your life uh even with you know very uh healthy self-reflection when you're mm -hmm. in a culture of competitiveness of fear right of profit maximization versus a culture which says yeah okay we we embrace a, a culture of innovation and courage and maybe even joy like if that you know is even a possibility for a culture right mm -hmm. uh and and it obviously it's difficult to achieve those kind of organizational cultures which are cohesive in say love right or mm -hmm. um and so this is what i've been fascinated with and measuring through applied kinesiology protocols which hawkins says is what's possible because as you know as a practitioner <clears throat> everything's energy and so our bodies are like fine-tuning forks so we're constantly you know yes we're constantly reacting to conscious around us right uh conflict or our own trauma and and all and just continually aspiring to you know embrace higher levels of of consciousness or awareness right so right uh, to me that's interesting because it's then possible in my view <coughs> to, to be able to measure uh consciousness and affect the culture with like what you're doing so that we can go pre and post analytics to say okay what is working here in terms of elevating or allowing the whole organization to move up into these you know higher levels of awareness and and uh and therefore be more resilient and more joyful mm -hmm. places to work and obviously have a market i think competitive advantage you know? yeah oh absolutely right so yeah i mean to the like you know the 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 things that you know what i love what i you know in reflection and reflection of, of like my entire professional life um since um bgi um is been like really finding like the simplest way for people to make the most difference in the environments that they're in. And it consistently comes back to it starts at home. Mm. And, and even like home as in the body, you know, um, because I mean, if you think of your internal ecosystem, your body is brilliant, right? Your body's wise. I mm -hmm. start with the body is incredibly designed and really brilliantly designed, uh, right? You don't have to think about oh, it's incredible. breathing. <laughs> breathing, and a, breathing. Uh, thank goodness I my, don't have to think about, oh, my heart, is it still my skin? pumping? Like what the heck? <laughs> yeah, so so just by default, you're, you're a brilliant design. And what I think we've been trained out of paying attention to the body until there is a physical symptom 
that we then, you know, take to the doctor, usually the Western doctor who isn't trained in like what Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic or the ancient ways of like, you're a, you're a hologram, <laughs> like what, uh, so above, so below, right? So there's this, this thing that I, you know, keep coming back to in, um, like if people want to make the biggest difference, you know, in our world, you have, my opinion is, is you have to start learning about the wisdom of your own body because you know theory i love learning right i have two master's degrees i love theory chinese medicine medical is oh, all like amazing. theory and then you go yeah. into clinical practice and you know you're you're continually like honing your education it's ancient and vast and deep i can't ever know it all right but i'm using that same like skill set like i'm diagnosing an organization based on the excess or deficiency of like, is the organization thriving? And here are some indicators pointing to that, right? We can look at the lack of innovation. We can look at the accounting, the books, right? We could see where all the stagnation is. <laughs> and so I bring yeah. that perspective, but then the other thing, but I always come back to, again, like the ecosystem of the organization is super important because if you want to do important change in the world, if you want to make a big difference, you really got to look at home first because that's right. Spreading. And so if we come back and look at the dysfunction, dysfunction um, of the organization, it usually comes back to, there's something about the leaders that they're ignoring in their own personal physical body. Mm -hmm. And it's quite simple. What I teach It's not that it's like simplicity is very like Chinese medicine is elegance. You know, it's got mm -hmm. this simplicity. To it. It's very complex though. On like on the back end, Absolutely. <laughs> when, but presented right with a human being in front of me, I can just bring all of that and do what I need to do. Ask the questions, look at the tongue, read the pulse. But I'm doing that now with organizations because if I can get a person to pay attention to what did you notice about your body when that same team member for the third time said, I'm not going to meet that deadline. Right. What did you notice in your body? That's, that's what I'm talking about. Simple. Cause when we, when you notice your reactivity, I have people spend from one week to a full month noticing their reactivity. Like, like how hard can that be? Right. Well, it's not hard, but what everybody, I could say a hundred percent people are like, I did not realize how reactive, how I noticing the swirling in my chest or my stomach gets upset when I'm with this client calls or that. Absolutely. That team member. Just paying attention. And so, and then they're like, they're going to their medical doctor and that's, so that's part of the accounting. Right. And so it's like, okay, like, do you want to keep that going? Or do you want to learn some very simple, straightforward things that you can start to, again, take your reactivity. You're not going to get out of being human here. <laughs> you're going to have reactivity until you're dead, but do you want to aim it? So then you can move forward through using your reactivity and then also eventually teaching your team and your culture to also use theirs. And then you're all moving together on the same page. If not, you're going to keep, you can apply a lot of theory and a lot of checklists, a lot of leadership. And you know, that's, that's good. Those are all effective, right? 
but like when we get down to it, it it's really effective to notice where you're ignoring or dismissing your own internal wisdom mm-hmm. it's always created like so much change for my clients professionally and personally because you know they're we're tied together we can't yeah. you know leaving i think leaving our you know these divisions these arbitrary things we say about humans sh- shouldn't show up human to work it's kind of yeah it's it's, it's it's not possible so let's use it let's use your humanness so I'm I'm losing my my human time on Zoom, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> time limited. Excellent. But but I, if we want to do a part two, what I'd love to explore uh, a little more deeply is uh, two things. One is stories of, let's say, success or whatever that means to you, in organizations, uh, and maybe preceded by a deeper dive into the the Chinese the ancient Chinese and even Ayurvedic kind of understanding right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as one uh, ancient master said the way of the future will be by the way of the Tao or it will not mm-hmm. and what did he mean the eight forms I mean all these things uh, contrasted with Confucianism mm-hmm. which is a very pragmatic way of governance versus yeah. this more elegant uh, understanding of the eight aspects of the of the Tao and all that stuff which mm-hmm. i i you know the I Ching, i've only i only read it when i was in harbin in my dark room for like weeks teaching students so <laughs> I, know, I used to carry a little tiny around with me everywhere and just kind of open it and just read it and say okay how which would all so i re- recall my body in the presence of that book when there was just kind of this like relaxation like this the shoulder, my shoulders would go down and I'd take a deep breath, right? In the presence of that book and opening up and seeing those, you know, those words, right? I created a body in the presence of that book. Right. And that's, I'd love to talk about like that too. It's like how we create these different bodies and how they serve or don't serve. All right. You, you know, yeah. Can we continued in, uh, in a minute. Sounds good. Okay. I'll send you another link. Okay. Thanks, Thanks. Mark.